isn't it great we're getting a new pastor? I can't think of anything so great. Not because I want to leave you, because Carolyn and I have enjoyed every one of you. And the, the good thing, of course, is I've already told you, uh, I'm going to get to tell my jokes to another church, and they're going to laugh at them. So uh, that's going to be a good thing. But we have new things going on, and you can be certain that by the uh, uh, end of July, all of this is going to have happened. Michael is going to be here. And uh, the first part of August, Carolyn and I will be gone, and you will be headed into a whole new world. Uh, and it'll be a good thing. Change is a good thing. And I met with Carolyn and I met with CBA last week, and I told Dave Setti at CBA, I said, my job is not to move a church to the next stage. Uh, that's the new pastor's job. My job is to keep them together and get them ready to go to the next stage. And so change will be coming, I'm sure. Michael's going to come. He's going to look around. He's going to listen for a little while. And then he's going to say, boy, why don't we do this a little differently? And uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it, aren't you? Yeah, you're going to love it. Uh, I read this week about an employer that called his employee in, and he said, uh, now I want you to find a bold and innovative way to do what we've been doing the last 25 years exactly the same way. So expect some change. Uh, That'll be good for our church. I want to go to a text this morning that we have already been through. In fact, we've already been through it in some detail. And um, you might remember that... um, In February, we spent three weeks in what we called the Master of Misfortune, the healing of the blind man, John chapter 9. And while I was preparing those sermons, I thought, boy, I got to say this, but I don't have enough time. I got to say that, but I don't have enough time. And so uh, I prepared a whole nother sermon out of John chapter 9 and uh, Uh, That's what you get today. So uh, sometimes when you are mining a a text, there's just so much in it that it's hard to get it all out. And uh, uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to mine it just a little bit more. In John chapter 9, Jesus is talking about changing lives. Jesus is talking about spiritual insight coming into the lives of people. Remember that the healing of the blind man had the purpose of communicating a truth about sight. In fact, Jesus makes that very point in the passage itself. And uh, he wants light to come in to places that are dark. And he wants people to see things that they have never seen before. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about in this text yet. You have the outline in your program. Take it out. Let's get started with point number one. And point number one is this. Recognize the dangers of either or thinking. Now you're going to see as we go that all of us at one point or another have this problem of either or thinking. I remember... 
my grandmother, who had a big part in raising me when I was a boy, used to say, you'll do that or else. I always wondered what or else was. Uh, but that's either or thinking, see? And, that's, and, and we're going to illustrate that more as we go. So let's take a look at the text there in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> as he passed by, he saw my, a man blind from birth. Now remember, we said this is the only text uh, or the only place in the Gospels where there was a, a condition that was congenital. Uh, the, the word birth is the Greek word genesis. We put a hard G on it and call it genesis. So he was blind from the beginning. And as a result, uh, Jesus comes by him. The disciples have a question for Jesus. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? So that's either or thinking, see. Uh, they were brought up with this. It was the only option they knew. They knew that when there was a problem of this nature, it had to be because of sin. It's what they were taught. And either the man sinned, which you don't know how that could be because he wasn't even born yet, uh, although we know about inherited sin, imputed sin, or his parents' sin. It's an either-or option for the disciples, and they can't seem to get outside of that because they come to the Lord and they say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. And I want you to see that we find ourselves trapped in either-or thinking all the time. See, I, I see people who say, I have trouble with my marriage, therefore I'd better get a divorce. It's only one or the other. I have problems with my finances, therefore I'd better file for bankruptcy. I have this relationship that is out of kilter, therefore I'm not going to speak to that person anymore. This guy offended me, therefore I'm never going to talk to him again. It's either or thinking. And what Jesus is going to try to get you to think through today is a third or a fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh option that God will bring into the process. And uh, that's what he does in our text. But I want you to see that if a person, someone has said, if a person constantly thinks in terms of catching mice, he will never catch lions. And what I'm trying to say there is that as long as your mind is fixed on the fact that this guy's parents or he had to sin to create this condition, you will never stretch out of that. You will never catch the lion. You will never catch God's third option. As long as you are in a marriage that is in trouble and the only way you can think to get out of it is to go for a divorce, then you are stuck. You are trapped. You can't recognize the third option that God may have for you. And that becomes very, 
very important at this point. I want you to see that in the very question that they ask, they're saying three things. The first thing they're saying is that the man is a victim. The man is a victim. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been a victim. Uh, And I took on the victim status at a point in time. I really liked it. I mean, I hung on to it for a long time. Uh, and, And so they made a victim out of me. The second thing was, we've already talked about, they got into this either or thinking. And the third thing was, they're looking for somebody to blame. They're looking for somebody to blame. And that's what happens when we get caught up in a situation that says, uh, this person offended me, therefore I'm never going to speak to him again. I'm a victim, and it's his fault, and the consequences are I'm never going to speak to him again. And some of us might say, I wish and add something to that that would be even be worse. What does Jesus say? It is neither that this man sinned or his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. Listen, that is the third option. The third option was it didn't have anything to do with sin. It was that God was in charge and he doesn't make any mistakes and God wants to glorify himself through the works that he's going to do. Uh, The third option was that God was going to get glorified. And let me explain to you. Whenever there's a third option, there will be change involved. Somebody's going to have to change. Somebody's going to have to do something different. So if my marriage is in trouble, and my thinking is that the only option is that there is a divorce in my future, and a third option comes along and says, no, we can put this back together. Somebody's going to have to change. You know, I've been in the ministry for the better part of 50 years now, and I've never found an innocent party in a divorce action. Uh, Somebody's going to have to change to make the thing change, whether it's marriage, finances, whether it's uh, the disciples thinking this false thinking that was given to them from childhood, they're going to have to change their thinking. I I want you to see how uh, uh, John Piper puts it. He says, darkness comes. In the middle of it, the future looks black. The temptation to quit is huge. Don't. You're in good company. You will argue with yourself that there is no way forward. But with God, nothing is impossible. He has more ropes and ladders and tunnels out of pits than you can imagine. Wait. Pray. See what God wants to do. See, the third option is always to find out why did God allow this? And what does God want to do about it and through it? It's important that you understand that the Bible teaches that God is completely sovereign. 
the word sovereign for God, uh, the word sovereign related to God, is used 303 times in the Old Testament alone. And I want you to see a few verses. I'm not going to show them to you. You might want to write down the references so you can look them up later. Proverbs 19.9 says, The mind of man plans his way. We do that pretty well, don't we? But the Lord directs his paths. See, we tend to set things up. We, we tend to plan what we're going to do, where we're going to do, uh, where we're going to go, and how we're going to get there. And sometimes God has a whole nother idea of how that's going to happen. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah says, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind. That's Isaiah's way of saying, pay attention, my friend. Pay attention. God says, I am God. There is no other I am God. There is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning. My purposes will be established, and I will accomplish my good pleasure. See that? God's going to do what God wants to do, whether or not you think and I think that it should happen that way or not. God's going to do what God's going to do, whether or not we decide we're going to be part of it or not. Uh, Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. <laughs> Romans eight twenty eight. you know it. I like the way the New American Standard uh, states it, and, and it's correct. Uh, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are just a few things. For of him and through him and to him are all things. See, whatever's happening to you, whatever you're going through, whatever the circumstance, whatever the frustration has been through God first, he knows about it. He's allowing it or he's causing it. And God wants your attention to say, don't just depend on the options that you can come up with. There are other options, and I can tell you what they are. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Remember, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, and their dad has just died, and on his deathbed, he says, you boys go and ask your brother to forgive you. And so they go. They're all in Egypt by this time. And they bow down before Joseph. And Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about the present result to present to preserve many people alive. He preserved the entire nation of Israel through this process. And as a result, God knows what he's doing. He does not make mistakes. And if you have trouble in your life, even if you think your sin is responsible for it, stop and ask God, God, what do you want to do? Point number two, ask God for help. Ask Jesus for help. 
uh, I think it's important for us uh, to understand that God is in charge, to understand that there are options besides our either-or thinking. But I think it's, it's important for us to act as well. And the text tells us in verse 7, Jesus told a man, go wash in the pool of Siloam, uh, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Now the pool of Siloam is a small pool in the middle of old Jerusalem. Uh, it is uh, connected with a, a huge spring in Gihon by a, uh, by a, uh, a tunnel, an aqueduct, that is over 1,700 feet long. And that was built by King Hezekiah uh, in the 5th century B.C. And uh, Hezekiah built this thing thinking that someday the city might be in trouble and it might need water. So the water came down through the aqueduct, which was called the Siloam Tunnel, and came into the pool of Siloam. And you remember Jesus got down on the ground. He spit on the ground. He made a little mud. He put it on the man's eyes. And he said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man goes and washes. And he comes back and he can see. I want you to get this point. So if you've fallen asleep, now's the time to wake up. Um, God wants you to do something ordinary. If you are stuck, if you are trapped in either-or thinking, God says, I want you to do something ordinary. Remember at the crossing of the Red Sea, what did God tell Moses to do? Hold a stick over the water. <laughs> I mean, what's more ordinary than that? Uh, remember the feeding of the 5,000 there was an ordinary little boy with an ordinary little boy's lunch. Uh, remember Jericho? Ordinary people had to take an ordinary walk and blow an ordinary horn, and the walls fell down. A miracle, a miracle. Listen, all miracles start with something ordinary. And sometimes God wants us to do something ordinary. I don't know what your frustration is today. I don't know what your trouble is. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your, your either or thinking might be. But if you're ever going to find the third option, it will be because you do something ordinary. Well, what might that be? Well, maybe you need to make a telephone call. Maybe this person offended me and I said, no, I'm never going to speak to them again. And maybe I need to be the one to make a telephone call and plead and beg for forgiveness for my attitude because I became offended in the first place. Renew the relationship starts with a simple telephone call. Maybe God wants you to pray about something or someone. You know, prayer is a good thing. Maybe you haven't done it in a long time. Maybe it would become a habit for you. I must pray 100 times a day. I do it when I'm driving. I do it in my office. I do it at home. 
I do it in every, almost every place I go. And the result is prayer is the thing that keeps me in contact with my father. And so uh, maybe God wants you to talk to him about something. Maybe God would have you visit a doctor or a counselor. See, that's an ordinary thing. But if your marriage is in trouble, instead of trying to solve the problem yourself and say, either or thinking, it's in trouble, therefore I get a divorce, why not sit down with somebody and say, maybe somebody wiser and older. We have lots of those people in our church. I mean, look at Don Snow. Very wise. (laughs) I didn't do this in the first service, and he was in the first service. Shucks. (laughs) So maybe call a, a doctor or counselor. Sit down with somebody and say, is there a third option? I'm stuck in either or thinking. Maybe God wants you to give. Maybe giving would be a good thing. Listen, let me make a statement for you. It's a little cyclical, so you have, to, uh, you have to bear with me. You cannot be a victim and a giver at the same time. Let me say that again. You cannot be a victim and a giver at the same time, but... You cannot stop being a victim until you become a giver. Let me say that again. You cannot be a victim and a giver at the same time, but you cannot stop being a victim until you become a giver. See, if this guy offended me, and originally I said I'm never going to speak to him again, the best thing I could do is go cut his lawn for him. The best thing I could do is uh, babysit with his kids while he and his wife go out to dinner. The best thing I could do is uh, ask him questions about himself. Uh, Where did you live? What's your family like? When I talk to him, I want to know about him. I want to become a giver. And the more I become a giver, the less I become a victim. It's the way it works. And as a result... Maybe you want to become a giver. I've given you a blank line, and maybe you're sitting there this morning, and you know some ordinary thing that God would have you do. Now, it could be there's only one in the whole congregation this side, and that's okay. But maybe you already are thinking of something ordinary that God would have you do to start the process of acquiring the third option. Write it down. Take a moment to write it down. It becomes very, very personal for you and God. So let me give you two simple warnings at this point. They're important because uh, it's the only way to deal with the either-or thinking. It's the only way to understand the ordinary act of something, and it's the only way to understand miracles properly. Here's the first one. Don't confuse the method with the miracle. Don't confuse the method with the miracle. 
Remember Jesus knelt down on the ground? He spit on the ground. He made a little mud. He put it on the man's eyes. I have seen volumes written on that mud. I've seen volumes written on uh, simple dirt and holy spit. Don't overemphasize the method. Concentrate on the miracle. I hear people tell me about miracles, and they tell me the story that takes them two hours to get to what it is God did. And they're more interested in how they got there. And, and of course, how they get there is important. But don't confuse the method with the miracle. And here's the second thing. Don't confuse your participation with the power of God. Don't confuse your participation with God's power. See, some preachers have done that. They walk around believing that they could perform miracles. They walk around telling you that if you come and uh, pay them or you come and listen to them, you become a part of their congregation, they'll do a miracle for you. It just isn't true. So God has, let, let me say that sometimes we get caught up in either or thinking, sometimes we can't find the third option. Sometimes we have to do something ordinary to find the third option. And in the process, forget that God has done good things for us. So I've given you more blank lines. And that is, I once was, but now I am. Don't forget your past. Don't forget what God has done for you. I wrote in there, I once was worthless, but now I'm valuable. See, because I grew up as a boy with everybody in my family and everybody in my school telling me I was stupid. And they all told me I was stupid, and pretty soon I believed I was stupid, and pretty soon I knew I was a victim. And suddenly I realized I was worthless. But now I'm valuable. You may write down the old cliche, once I was lost, now I'm found. You may write down, once I was without purpose, but now I have direction. You may write down, once I was cynical, but now I'm hopeful. There may be any one of a thousand directions you could go with that. Tell me, what did God do for you? Write it down. Once I was, but now I am. That will be helpful for you to remember that God's already done great work in your life. Point number three. Look past what others cannot see. Look past what others cannot see. Um, uh, verses 8 and 8 to 10 uh, say this. The neighbors, therefore... And those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, it is just like him. But he kept saying, I am the one. Listen, please, don't let, past, don't let the past blind you to the possibilities of the present. Don't let the past blind you to the possibilities of the present. All of us have had bad experiences. All of us 
have had situations where the relationship sucked. All of us have had people that rejected us. All of us have had marriage problems and financial problems and kid problems. All of us have. But don't let that past dictate to you that the future can't be better. Don't let that dictate to you the possibilities of what God can do. Don't let the voices of other people blind you to what God can do. Let me say that again. Don't let the voices of other people blind you to what God can do. This is incredibly important because we tend to think, we tend to be controlled with and by what other people think. Uh, You are not responsible for what other people think and other people do. You're only responsible for the person sitting in that chair. And let me remind you that of the billions of people on this planet, 7.347 billion people, there's not another one like you. And of the tens of millions that have already left the planet, there's never been another one just like you. God built you the way he wanted you. You're not responsible for what God what other people think about God's creation. And let me say one more thing. God don't create no junk. Let me give you a statement from that great theologian, Leonard Nimoy. He says, this is the exploration that awaits you. Not mapping stars or studying the nebula, but charting the unknown possibilities of existence. Now, I know um, Leonard Nimoy. He's, he's not thinking in terms of the Bible here. Uh, uh, but his statement that your job and my job is to find the possibilities of why I exist I am here because God put me here and he doesn't ever make any mistakes and he's always in charge. See, the great man is the one who thinks and observes beyond the obvious. The only way for you to find option three is to think beyond the obvious. If you stay in the obvious, you're going to stay in either or thinking. And there's always somebody who will tell you, you need to stay in the dark. There's always somebody who will tell you, you're not going to make it to the light. There's always somebody who will tell you, your marriage is in trouble, so you better get out of it. There's always somebody who will tell you, that kid has gone off the deep end. Let them go. Don't even bother praying for them. There's always somebody to put the negative input into you. And I'm saying to you today, look beyond that. Look for what God wants to do and what is the process of the third option that he has for you in any of those situations. There's always somebody who will tell you, you know, you should never forgive that person. Always somebody. Point number four. Trust Jesus to give you spiritual insight. 
Verses 38 and 39 say, And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may believe, uh, may become blind. What he means there is that I came into the world so that people like you and me who have no spiritual input at all can receive the truth, the light about who God is. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. And the other side of it is there are those who always think they have all the answers, like the Pharisees. And he's saying, I'm going to make them blind again. In verse 46 of chapter 12, he says, I have come as light into the world that anyone, everyone who believes in me may not remain in the darkness. See, this man had a progressive revelation. He got progressive insight from Christ. In verse 11 of chapter 9, he says Jesus was a man. That is not debated. Everybody believes that. We know that from biblical history. We know that from extra biblical history. We know that from archaeology. Jesus was a man, he says, and he knew that. In chapter 9, verse 17, he says Jesus is a prophet. Even the Jews believed that Jesus was a prophet. In chapter 9, verse 38, he says, Jesus is Lord. And that only comes as a result of faith. You can believe, everybody can believe the other two. But the fact is, he becomes your Lord by faith. Um, Charles Spurgeon became the pastor of Metropolitan tabernacle in London uh, in, a, in an earlier century. And um, he says this on his first Sunday in, in the tabernacle. He got up and he said this. He said, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, And as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, that that subject shall be the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I am never ashamed to avow myself as a Calvinist. I do not hesitate to take the name of Baptist. But I, if I am asked what is my creed, I reply, it is Jesus Christ. My venerated predecessor, Dr. Gill, has left a theological heritage, admirable and excellent in its way. But the legacy to which I would pin and bind myself forever, God helping me, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the arm and the substance of the gospel. He is the one who himself is all theology, the incarnation of every precious truth. And this guy came to the point where he said, Jesus is my Lord. 
And I say to you today that Jesus has to be at the forefront of everything we think and do and say. Don't misunderstand me. I'm in favor of civil rights. I'm in favor of women's rights. I'm in favor of saving the planet. I'm in favor of hunting and fishing and sports of all kinds. But when any of them come between me and my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am wrong. And if that is not the case, if Jesus is not the forefront of Northwest Hills Community Church, you might as well pick a date and close the doors because it is the only reason, he is the only reason for this church to be in existence. Therefore, we have to understand that either we're thinking doesn't work. We have to do the ordinary things to find the third option. And that always comes about through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. He said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, he's saying a city set on a hill glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light. Let it shine there in Matthew 5. You need to look for what it is God wants for you. Helen Keller said this, the only thing worse to being blind is having sight with no vision. And I think many of us as Christians have sight. We have light. We've come to know Christ. He is our redeemer. But we have no vision for what he wants to do through this person, this skin and bones and blood standing in front of you. Sometimes we don't know what that is. Sometimes we don't think about what my life's goal ought to be. I sign most of my emails, Pastor Rich, serving Christ together, Pastor Rich, partnering with Jesus to love people because that's my purpose in life. And, And sometimes we have light, but we have no vision. And God is saying, listen, don't be either or thinkers. And if you don't want to be an either or thinker, in your situation, find something ordinary to do and you will find the third option. And the third option always comes as a result of your relationship to Jesus Christ. So as you go to communion this morning, you might want to ask yourself, what is my third option? You might want to ask yourself, what ordinary thing could I do that would make my situation rise up with the third option? And in the process of that, be more and more and more deeply in love with the Lord Jesus. Let him rule everything you do, every place you go, and everything you think. Let's pray together.
Our Father, we are thankful that you sent your son Jesus and just as surely as he has redeemed us, we want not only to be the redeemed, we want to be your servants. We want you, Father, to work in and through us. We want our community and our church to see Jesus and to see him in us. And so we come to you this morning, Father, asking you, allow us to have a passion and a vision for our lives that would help us get past the either-or thinking. Bring the ordinary things to mind that would grow us and grow our church and our community. Allow us, Father, to be stuck, to be controlled, to be trapped in our love for Jesus, not in our either-or thinking. And as we come, Father, to celebrate his giving, his broken body, his shed blood, God, make us givers. Take the victimization away. Allow us, Father, to be known as a church that is a giving church, as individuals and as a church as a whole. Thank you, Father, for all of this in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.